Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, Hot Flush 20. We've been banging on about this all year. The three times vinyl, three times 12 inch vinyl compilation is now shipping. It's been a bit of a labor of love getting that together, but it's a, like I said, three times vinyl gatefold featuring some absolutely awesome tracks from the catalogue. So stuff from Paul Wolford, Denson Pika, George Fitzgerald, myself, Closet Yee, and a few more, 15 tracks in total. So yeah, if you haven't copped that yet, then I would advise you to do so. It's a limited press. We're not going to be repressing it. So yeah, like I said, available now. And if you want to get it on Bandcamp, that's even better. There's a link in the show notes to that. Right, that's the only bit of plugging I'm going to do this week, I think, probably, anyway. So let's move on to the main business of the show. This week, I am joined by Sebastian Mellart. That's a pronunciation that I've struggled with, and I'm not sure if I've got it completely correct. I had to ask him for clarification before we went live with the recording, and I don't think I really nailed it, and I don't think I've quite remembered it right there either. Anyway, he is a notable producer and live performer of electronic music from Sweden. He also runs a really interesting live project called The Circle of Live, which features many different musicians collaborating and improvising in a live setting all in the kind of electronic space. So it's a really interesting project which yields pretty differing results and is a really distinctive project that he's got going. He also runs a mentorship program called In Bloom, which is basically a 
holistic, I think is the right word, holistic approach to harnessing creativity with an eye on building a career in electronic music without necessarily putting too much emphasis on the career side. But I mean, creativity is basically the main theme for this week's conversation and this week's episode. It's overlaps quite substantially with Rick Rubin's recent round of the podcast circuit. And you'll have done well to avoid Rick Rubin over the past month or two. He's got a book out about creativity and he's an interesting bloke actually i mean obviously he's done many great records but i mean some of his approaches are unconventional but i mean a lot of what he says actually overlaps with what sebastian says in this episode and they're obviously thinking about it in a broadly similar way i think overall but sebastian has some very distinctive takes and really interesting things to say about creativity generally and harnessing it in an effective way so this was super interesting it was a guy i wanted to have on for a long time he is a really interesting person and someone who thinks really deeply about this kind of stuff so ideal person really for the show and it's great to have him on i think you're going to enjoy this conversation because i certainly enjoyed it a lot okay you can support the show if you would like to, on Patreon, that would be very nice of you. Patreon.com slash scuba official. There are two tiers. One is a basic support tier. There are bonus podcasts that you get as a result of supporting us in that way. However, the musicality tier gets you basically on the Hot Flash promo list. So all the music that we release, you get ahead of time in high quality download formats as part of your subscription fee. They're both pretty cheap. The upper tier is like $10 a month or something. So yeah, it's value, great value. And if you like what we're doing here, then that's just a great way to support us. And we'd be extraordinarily grateful if you're going to do so. Actually, both tiers get you into the private area of our Discord. And we're doing a remix project in that area of the Discord. So I'm posting stems and we're doing remixes and comparing our versions. And it's just a bit of fun and very lighthearted and everyone's very positive, and it's just a nice place to be, basically. So yeah, we'd love to see you there. Patreon.com slash official if you want to join us. If you can't, if you don't want to, if you haven't got enough money, all good. That's totally fine. Leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to this podcast. That really does help too. Hit the five-star button. Please do that. In fact, do that anyway. That would be nice of you. As well as Patreon, you can do that. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. It contains much of the music that we talk about for reference. And join us in the Discord. You don't have to be a Patreon member to be in the Discord. There's a private area for patrons, but the whole thing is open to the, the public. Hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord gets you into that server. So, okay, I've been blabbing on enough. Without further delay, here is Sebastian Mellot. Sebastian Mellot, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. I'm super well. Sun is cracking through the clouds a little bit here and there, but still kind of misty, gray, rainy Swedish woods where I am. Right. Yeah. In fact, I've been in my preparation for this. I've been reading about your where you live. It sounds amazing, actually. So, um, in fact, tell me about it. Let's let's start with that. Where is it? Tell tell us all. Where, where exactly are you based? Uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm a little bit. I I found my little paradise, which I'm uh, 
extremely thankful for, uh, which make it hard to go anywhere else because <laughs> I there is everything I need where I am, uh, which is beautiful, uh, but also difficult when your life is partly also traveling. Uh, I do love to travel as well, but uh, it's mixed feelings every time I go. So I live in the south of Sweden, uh, very close to Malmo and Copenhagen. And it's like 45 minutes drive from Malmo, one hour drive from from Kastrup Airport. Um, and it's in a, it's countryside, but it's a small little village called Rostonga. A neighbor to a very special nature area uh, and national park. Um, so it's like south of Sweden. Everyone who's been there know that it's very flat. It's like Denmark. It's fields, fields, fields. But this area is kind of the first really deep woods uh, in Sweden, and and it's a, a leaf forest or beech woods. Um, so it's quite different to the typical kind of farmed. Uh, trees in in the like the pine trees in in the further up in sweden um so we'll have a small little hotel um next to the park so we're kind of bridging between the little village beautiful artistic community uh, and then the other side is the national park so it's literally back door out into the woods and there you can hike for days and, you know, it's big heights, cliffs, waterfalls, small lakes. Um, very beautiful. And five minutes from our place, I have my studio. Right. Yeah, it does sound like paradise. I mean, <laughs> I've actually got in, in my kind of visual uh, picture of you, I've got in my mind uh, just generally like the, the forest just seems to be in that image. <laughs> I'm not quite sure where I got that from. But that seems to have kind of like worked its way through to my perception of you <laughs> generally. Like, is, is that kind of in any way accurate? Yeah, it's, is, uh, is the forest uh, an important thing to you? Yeah, I think for many reasons, you know, I grew up in the middle of the forest, even much more than now. It was my, my parents moved out to like nowhere. We didn't have any neighbors for a kilometer. So I grew up amongst trees and fields and moss and animals. And kind of explored my own creativity in this place. I, I always played music in many different forms. I love to paint and write. My my mother is a writer, an author. And so it, it was a big part of my childhood to be close to nature and to express. So later on, when I moved to the city, went to university, I lived in Malmo, had a studio there for many years. Um, it was kind of always very clear that it's just a matter of time before I move out to the countryside again. Uh, and um, I did. And, and now it's, it's, it's kind of, it's partly what I really love. Uh, I, I'm in the forest every day. Um, sometimes, of course, shorter, sometimes longer. Um, but it's also a very important part of my creative process and, and something that I encourage more people to to access. Um, and, and the reason for that is that I truly feel when I'm in the woods, when I'm in the forest, when I'm in nature, uh, it's such a strong and natural presence uh, of life, of the universe or whatever we want to call that and and it's the same presence that we have within us or that is a source of us 
So when I mean that presence, it it kind of, and I think that's a very universal law, presence, welcome, or invite presence in what it meets. So in this way, when you go somewhere or you meet someone or you listen to music that is full with creativity and presence, it invites you that same presence in you. It's not that you get something. It's more that it, it triggers that in you. And, and that's what I feel in nature. Um, I become alive. Um, so, and that's also one of the main reasons for, or sources of inspiration for my wife, and also why we have this small hotel to, in not only when it comes to music or yoga or meditation, but for anyone with any background or any need to take a step out in the woods, to spend time there with no agenda, to to just explore or just be, is a, a beautiful and quite easy reminder about what's really essential. Yeah, okay. So I guess from what you've just said there and then talking about taking inspiration from that in the creative process i mean is that a um is that something that you bring back into the studio and and just trying to try and capture the mood or just feel inspired in a kind of more esoteric way by that or is there a maybe a a, a more direct practical version of how that inspires you creatively i could say both but i, I think life and and anything we meet in life you know give an impression in us it you know it, it trigger us in 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 different ways so when we express something with the tools that we have in our expression if that's music you know what what we meet will always somehow also be reflected there um especially when you improvise and, and improvisation is one of the main ways that i i create with um but for me it, it's you know, I, I, I am very nature romantic and when I'm out in the forest it I also get clear pictures of 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 music and when I sit in the studio I kind of feel that I am also in, in a forest or nature. So that could happen, but I think that the main thing for me is that presence is always before and and beyond any expression itself. Uh, our awareness the, that we have when you know that in us or that aspect of us that experience life in all its possible forms and phenomena um, that is always there you know it's it's that's that's what's aware now you listen to my voice when you speak i listen to your voice it's our presence our awareness that is here and active and alive and it's always there um, and in a creative process for me, the the kind of what I like to call the step zero, the first step is just to come back to that, take a step back, feel it, rest with that awareness, that uh, that presence that is before anything that happens. And then let the energy or the creativity flow and let it out and it becomes something. And this is a thing that I feel... I get reminded about when I'm in the woods in the nature. It's that the kind of raw presence uh, that is beyond anything specific kind of gets reminded about itself. And for me to be there and, and remembering that, it's so full of meaning and 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 beauty. So 
when I come to the studio and, and play, it's more that 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 presence helps me to be open and include all the different aspects of my present human personality happens to be, you know, memories, feelings, traumas, ideas, uh, um, and and competence or skills or knowledge in music or things I heard, memories from dance floors. When 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 I'm close to my presence, I expand and and I can include that and all that somehow then pops up and and that's the beauty of improvisation. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know what pops up, but when it does, I put I put it into the music. Um, so I think that's that's how I see nature really helpful. Uh, it's that step zero before anything specific. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I didn't I didn't intend to start here. What I actually had written down to start with actually was your mentorship program because I've been going through the various things that you've become involved with the last few years and there's some really interesting stuff there the circular live project we're going to talk about and also the retreats which I, which I guess come out of the mentorship program too but the mentorship thing in particular kind of caught my eye because I do something similar with with Hot Flush with the label in terms of signing new artists and trying to guide them but I do it in a much more you know ad hoc informal kind of a way and trying to formalize that kind of thing I think is interesting and having looked at the kind of the broad approach that you take for it it really as I said caught my eye in terms of you know, thinking about what the motivations might be for doing that I mean I personally find working with new artists extremely rewarding and it's one of the things that I, I enjoy the most actually about doing a label so tell me a bit about I guess your motivations to start that kind of thing in the first place yeah so happy to hear that that you're also seeing that and I think that's somehow a very natural uh, evolvement from being an artist you know exploring your own music your own creativity your own expression you're having a career uh, and then coming to an age where like in my case I like to travel less I love to be here and like you say to see other people be inspired or finding their way in in creating or creating a career it could be any that that's so beautiful and somehow also I think it's a it's a natural effect of taking a step back give place to other people um, and more encourage other people to bloom out in these places where you maybe were holding up space before as an artist. Uh, so f- for me, that process have felt very natural. Um, I think when it comes to teaching, I, I always had, a, I don't, yeah, I, I always had a passion for that um, somehow. And even like the first encounters I had with it was that when I was 14 years old uh, my violin teacher got sick and suddenly I was substituting for her so I had to take time off from school and I was going to all these small schools around in in the area where I lived and and had lessons with all her students Uh, and so somehow it, it started very natural and then when I decided to drop out of university to to have an artistic career uh, I didn't have any money, uh, and I ended up uh, being a math teacher at elementary school for two years to 
to be able to build up the studio and get paid while while doing that. So somehow through my life, these moments of education have popped up, um, and and quite some years before the pandemic, we with Circle of Live, we we had this vision from from the very start to to have retreats at my place here in the woods. Um, and we tried different ways to actually make that happen. And it's it's always a little bit of a journey. You know, I'm, I'm sure you, you feel the same. You have a vision about something and then you start to do it. But in reality, you always, you, you never know exactly how it becomes. And uh, different things happen and you have to find ways around it. Um, pandemics, for example, and things like that. So before the pandemic, we did quite a few workshops and, and masterclasses around the world when I was touring. So like going to a festival and, and then also have a class about something. And then in the pandemic, all that stopped and retreats was absolutely not possible. And then it was actually my manager, Nico, who encouraged me to, you know, start something online, like do a mentorship on Zoom, uh, 10 episodes uh, pick ten topics. Don't don't try too much. Just do something. And I was very hesitant, uh, partly because I I really feel that it's something special when you do things live um, together. You know, presence awakens presence. Um, but also that it was new and you know a little bit hesitation for like how can this be and you know will people like it? But um, I I followed his uh, advice and I did it. And it was extremely rewarding and beautiful in many, many ways I didn't expect it. Also, I think the accessibility, doing it online and be able to reach people, to be able to invite people that can't afford it, to have scholarships, you know, all this, which is not possible physically, um, made so much sense. Um, so we started that in the pandemic first year, 2020, uh, and then we have continued um, also, let me sorry. Let me jump in there for a sec. Yes. So you started it, and it was an online thing. So how did you go about? Well, how many people did you have for the first one, and how did you go about like publicizing it and and, and all that stuff? Because yeah. that's there was plenty of people during the pandemic trying to make online yeah. offerings, you know, and it was almost like a you know an overload of that stuff. So how did you go about doing that? I think partly I I think all these online things, artists sharing something. Uh, is always uh, a, a special uh, sharing from an artist to their fans in a way. So you have the group of people that somehow follow you for different reasons. And those ones are the ones that would probably be the first one that, that are curious or interested in that. And I think that was quite similar for everyone, like all artists doing this. And, and the first one... I would say it's quite easy. Uh, we have 35 maximum on Zoom. Uh, we always give five scholarships. So we have 30 paid uh, and five for free. And people apply for that. And and the first run, we, you know, we were a little bit lucky because I did an online uh, masterclass with uh, Ableton on their Loop. Uh, and that was a year where Loop didn't happen physically. Um, it's their, their educational festival kind of thing. So it called it was called Loop at Home. And we were three teachers, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I did one there live. Uh, and then we released it on their newsletter. And then they talked about this mentorship that started one month later. So that was also a great way for us to, to share kind of 
the the starting point of it um and so so that was quite easy and then we we have started to build up a you know a following we have our subscribers on the newsletter we always give away things for free and there are lots of content like my templates how i play live videos of me describing my life set like a lot of things that, that you can just access on our website um and then and i think that is actually a way that we will go much more with and to to be more free with things and share more things like basically everything i know share it for free on all platforms that exists and then uh, when people come and actually do a course the difference is that they get my presence and they can ask their own questions and they can you know be reminded in a way that that they need right so um, they come prepared basically yeah that's that's a well um but i think also like there's so many courses there are so many mentorships and patrons and all kind of things and um i think my my approach is not so common in a way uh, it's it's really focusing on on the creative side of things workflow uh, and creativity and and i clearly tell people continuously through all my mentorships now we have three steps so it's step one two and three um that you know i'm not here to show you how i do things you know i there will be parts where i do that to to show th- certain things but what my intention and my wish is to just help to people to awaken their own creativity and let the journey begin. And that's something that everyone has. And I'm, I'm so clear I'm, uh, and I, I deeply think that, you know, we are presence, but we are also the creative flow that expresses the world. And it's something that everyone has. Uh, I really dislike the the phrase that you know some people are really creative. Uh, I really don't don't like to measure presence or creativity. Everyone is presence and creativity, and then certain people can have a creativity that is maybe very beneficial or very useful or very innovative, uh, and and these are maybe the ones that certain people say, wow that person is so creative he came up with a new medicine or a new tool or something but for me creativity is the energy that flows in us and that is the creativity that i try in different ways to help people just remember you know not tell them about it it's there all the time uh, and then let people express their journey in a way that's true to them um and I don't see that so much on courses online. It's it's more of quite often about production or recording and things like that. Yeah, I mean, actually, what you've just said is is very reminiscent of. Well, I was this morning listening to one of Rick Rubin's many podcast appearances that he did to promote the the book that came out recently, and he was mm. basically saying exactly that. So there is no. <laughs> it's a mistake to think there is a set way of doing something. A, a successful creative process is just one successful example of a creative process, and there are mm. almost an infinite number of of those approaches. You know, so it's a mistake to say, oh, this is this is the way to do something, right? Because it's just a way yes. which might be successful in one set of circumstances but may be completely unsuccessful given you know, a different set of people or a different set of you know um, a different environment or whatever so i mean it's completely accurate that you say that the majority of quote-unquote tutorials which i guess overlaps with this very much focus on the technical side right which is to say 
how do you make a good kick drum or whatever. But the outline of the syllabus of your program, there is some of that, but there's also, as you say, a heavy emphasis on the sort of creative side and stimulating that creative approach in people, but also more than half an eye on a, a general kind of mental health approach. Yeah, and and I think here that for me, an important part of of music creation or being an artist or being a a, a human in in general is to find this balance. Like, if you're an artist, you need to to have your studio and know how the studio work and know your software and hardware. Yeah. You need to have a career as well. You know, you need to do your social media. You have releases, you know, all this is part of it. But as a human being, we, we have not only a creative expression or, you know, it's life energy that path through us. But I also believe that for us to be full, complete and satisfied, we need to express our creativity. And especially if we're an artist and not doing that, we get, we get mental ill. We get depressed. And, and I think the easiest antidote to depression is to allow your creativity in a way that is not measured. So to, as an artist then, for me, the, the most basic healing is to find a way to make the music that it heals you. Find a way that when you make the music, you feel full. And then let your career and and all these other aspects follow that. Let let the healing aspect be the starting point. Uh, and I also say to to people that do my course that my focus is not for you to have a career. It's not to become famous artists. And and I try to be clear. And because our great coaches and and mentorships for that as well and i don't think it's wrong but it's it's not what i can can give and it's not what what i feel passionate about sharing i'm more i, I want you to to first really connect with your creativity and, and feel the enormous beauty of that and then let's see what comes from that what career can can be built from that when when you're a musician not the other way around like trying to find a structure or fit into a structure and then you know okay now let's make some music that fits here instead let's let the creative the unexpected wild enormous and beautiful creative energy through you guide the way for what and in what way you become an artist um yeah i mean that aspect of measurement it really resonates actually i mean i was talking about on last week's show with Alan Fitzpatrick, we were talking about the kind of the pressures that inevitably go along with having having a career. But I think like more generally, the quote unquote creative industries these days, and you can probably include, you know, quite content creators in that, like it's so bound up in what engagement your creations amass, right? When they go out into the world and people very much judge themselves and judge their work by those measurements, right? And this is such a it's such a toxic way to to judge yourself, right? By definition. And it's anti-creative, I would I would argue. And it really gets in the way of expressing yes. yourself creatively. And and I I like to see it as the, we have a world that we live in that is, you know, constantly evolving that is measurable. You know, the the both the physical and mental and emotional dimensions that we live in as human beings can be measured in different ways 
you know, bank accounts, sales of a vinyl, likes on Facebook, how fast can I run, how many people think I'm beautiful, you know, all these things in this this aspect of the world can be measured. Uh, but then the, the presence that comes before that world, the presence that experience that world is beyond measurement. It's not about more or less, it is, and it's there. Uh, it's shining with its presence, and the same with the creative flow that somehow passes through this presence and is the fundament for this world. This energy can have different, you know, it's, it goes up and down. It can have, you know, we have moments where we have lower energy, moments with higher energy, but it's also unmeasurable in the way that it's there. It's flowing. It's a flow, and we don't need to to change it. We, we we don't need to let it flow. We just need to allow that flow to happen. And that creates the world. And, and for me, the easiest way to not get toxicated by measuring things, because we do need to measure things, you know, in, in the aspect of being a human being, one aspect of us take in all the input of the world and put it in context. And we need to have that to take decisions. And it's fine. That's part of being a human. But if we rest and feel comfort in the the presence and the creative flow, in that thing that is unmeasurable, it is. We can't do it more or less good. That's a misunderstanding by the aspect of us that measure things. And when we rest in that place, I feel it's not toxic to measure. I can clearly say, wow, I meet a guy and you're so beautiful, <laughs> like like all the photos of you are so beautiful. Or I meet another one, like, wow, you're so rich. What a beauty for you to be able to have this energy and, and do things. I don't, need to, I don't need to say that I am less. I am clearly am in, in certain ways. You always meet people that you can be measured in different ways. But then it's, I don't measure the world to confirm that I am. I measure the world to see it and experience it and see the beauty in it to be able to to give to the world in a way that is useful for me or where I can be part of it somehow. And when I rest in this presence, I feel that I don't need to judge. You know, even when I feel like, wow, I have quite a lousy following on Instagram. I don't even have a TikTok like, oh, shit. And I can laugh about it. I don't need to feel worried. Okay, that's how it is now. Then I can still take a decision like, okay, to be able to continue with our In Bloom school, maybe we need to open a TikTok account and, and reach people there. You know, I can still measure things and take decisions based on it, but I don't need it to confirm my, my own existence. So for me, that as an artist, when we have a root in our presence and creativity, it's so much easier to appreciate the beautiful journey we have as artists. Because it's also easy to travel around. It doesn't matter if you have two million people following you and you have full bank accounts in every country and you still measure yourself and feel like it's not enough. Um, right, it's never enough, can easily right? become yeah. the Yeah. And, and there is the thing that measures, that aspect of us, it's not meant to be enough. It's meant to see what's missing. 
That's the purpose of that aspect of us. That's why we have it. Okay, shit, we don't have enough food on the table. How can we get that? My child is sick. How can I make that person, that the child, uh, well again, for example? You know, it, it is to point out what's not right and to solve it or to get it better. But the other aspect of us that just is, you know, is should come first and we should then act from that place instead of acting from the place where it's never enough. So let me ask you, for the people coming in to do your program, how much persuading is necessary to get them round to this way of thinking about their artistic output or about their creativity? From my experience, I sometimes, not always, but sometimes have a bit of a job persuading someone who is coming into the label that they should take a certain approach to the way they think about what they make musically and, and, and you know, various different conversations, but it's not always straightforward. But so how, do, how, do, how does the expectation of people coming in to the In Bloom program match up with, with where you take it and then how much persuading is necessary? Yeah, it's a little bit difficult sometimes to understand because it's still online and, and, and it's hard to reach or, or to understand everyone's uh, experience of it. But like I, I, I continuously also say that, you know, what I share is my experience of it. I don't really know. And it's up to everyone to explore and, and, and choose what's important for them. And, and I say that, you know, I'm, I designed this course in, in something that I believe in. But you don't need to believe everything. You know, feel free to, to question anything. And please ask me or share if you feel something else. I think those moments are also very inspiring for me and for that person and for everyone else listening uh, when, when there are different uh, perspectives on things. But partly I think a lot of people come because they have a certain understanding on what I do and feel curious about that. There's, of course, and, and that's a, a big part of any promotion, I think. is For me, pr- promotion is less about becoming famous but more about reaching to the right place. Like if I have a hotel, I want customers that comes and enjoy what we have. I don't want a f- full house all the time with people that are unsatisfied because they got lured into something that I didn't want. And it's the same with education or a dance floor or um, a release. You want to reach the people that actually feel that this is interesting or it's useful for them for some reason. Uh, so it's it's an ongoing process for everyone trying to sell anything i think that to to be able to do and and this podcast is also that you know that you welcome me to come here is a beautiful and uh, i'm very thankful for it invitation for me to to share what i do uh, and maybe someone that listens will feel like well that's interesting someone will feel like i wanted to do that but i'm absolutely not into what he's saying and then of course it's much better that that person do not take part in the mentorship um, so I think most people do have a sense of it. Um, and I think many people, and I think that's the beauty of creativity is because everyone is creativity, I truly believe. And everyone have strong memories of creative flow, of presence. It can be from dance floors, from writing, from uh, from just sitting and doing nothing. Uh, and I think there is not a single person in the world that I have talked to that do not say, yes, I know exactly what you mean. You know, like if you talk about these topics, it's not, you don't try to teach something. You just try to, to put it up to the surface 
and make someone prioritize it and remember by doing it the satisfaction and the beauty of of prioritizing that. So I think most people feel very like, wow, yes, I agree. Wow, you know, feel very aligned with it. But then it's like, for me, the, 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 the big thing with something like this, you know, if, if I have a workshop for three, four hours or a little masterclass and I talk about this, you have this kind of first little remembering, like people feel like, yeah, wow, yeah, that's important. But the, the big quest and the tricky part is how can I, as an, you know, inviting these people to the courses or the retreat, how can I do it in a way that they continue with it that it that that they actually not only get a little bit excited about it or feel it's it's great but can they include it in their life can they include it in their workflow sorry let me let me jump in there and say that was basically going to be my next question or the question i was formulating as you were saying that because you're absolutely right to say that in the abstract these things seem mm. obvious right and and if, if they don't seem obvious they certainly seem intuitive like you know, who would disagree with with that but i think the problem might arise where someone was formulating in their mind how they would take that forward in a, in a sort of practical way you know how would they apply it to how to what they do on a day-to-day basis right i mean i guess that that's kind of what you were going on to say i suppose yeah, so that's that's a big part of it. And I would say, like, now we have three steps. So the first and the second step are 10 weeks each. So now we do a step one in the autumn and a step two in the springtime. So now I'm, I'm in the middle of a, a step two. So it's once a week, 10 weeks. Um, and the, the first step is more really to, you know, then I, it's also about my studio setup. It's about workflow in the studio it's about meditation nature to collaborate improvisation is part of my life set i also have a whole episode about you know to have a career different roles in the music industry labels publishings publicists managers etc etc so it's a bit more holistic and and kind of wide and then the second one is clearly focused for someone who want to try my workflow of improvisation in the studio on a stage so that that second part is from week to week you know they have a clear homework and they're doing something and they try out that process how i do it in the studio and then i also it's kind of a a, a special workflow that kind of you know these type of workflows it's not something you think about it happens when you follow your creativity and it was more when when i started these courses i I, like how do i do it and why do i do this and not like that and and then it started to be more clear and was also very clear that it was different steps in the process and to divide things into certain steps helped me to to avoid for example judging uh comparing you know all this this aspect of of me that is coming in and trying to make use of something and kind of separating the the very free creative flow in certain parts and then jump in and be the selector picking choosing kind of being more the one that okay how can i use this in in this reality or on this release or on this album or if i'm doing a remix like what aspects could i use here to to make that uh, interesting in this specific scenario so so these different steps ap- appeared so 
in that second part of, of the mentorship, I go through that and also clearly kind of explain and share how I see and why I think these different steps have appeared, which is basically it's a little bit of a creative process or workflow shows a person's psychological blocks. That's a little bit how you can say it. Like, like a good workflow is is helping you to to overcome blocks you have. And in this way, people are different. People have different psychological blocks. We have different, but uh, but at the same time, we are humans from a similar culture. So quite many blocks are also quite similar <laughs> in a way. So I think when taking parts of someone's workflow, when it comes from this place, can be quite inspiring and useful. Uh, and, and people can also take different parts of it. But but the purpose with that second part is for them during 10 weeks to really try it. And then, and I think that that it's the same with anything we do, you can't read about those things. You can't, you can't just listen to someone talk about it. You need to try it yourself. It's like yoga or being in a club, you know, that beautiful moment in the morning at Panorama Bar, windows comes up and we're in the middle of the dance, been dancing for 10 hours. That is something we feel. You know, you can never describe that. Uh, you, you, can, you can say that, you know, I love this. Try it. But, but the actual experience is something that happens... At that can't, point, it can't be faked, right? That yeah, person, and and yeah, and it's the same with the creative process. So, so that second part is more to help them do that, and and then the third part, which is actually a whole year, and uh, that is also maybe more similar to what you do. Then people have to go one and two, and then the the, the third part, uh, I'm there for them, for them to create an album or an EP or a live set, or all of it, um, in the way that they, you know, there is no, they don't need to do it in my way. It's it's more that, you know, it's once a month we all meet, and, and then they have a lot of private sessions with me where, um, where I try to help them to come back to their flow. <laughs> and it's quite interesting. I have some of the people in part three, because we have you know, in, in the end of the first part three now. And I, for example, one guy who's a beautiful artist, he comes from an, uh, from a jazz background. He makes beautiful electronic music and, and he's really into nature, creativity, he improvises. And suddenly, a few weeks ago, he was like, he almost had a, or he had a creative awakening. Right. It clicked completely and he, and he suddenly was like now i understand everything you have said like wow <laughs> it's all here uh, you know i i am it you know it's it's uh, it's all perfect and and those moments uh, i always start to cry you know that when when someone feel that that's the whole point with yeah, with, sure. with these courses uh, Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, Let me ask you a question. As you were saying, well, as you were describing how you sort of deconstructed your own process to put this together in the first place did you find anything unexpected there because you know as you mentioned it's kind of intuitive as you're as you're doing it and it's not a natural thing to go in and really pull it apart so as you were doing that was there anything surprising there for you it was interesting to me how i i realized how the the choosing and picking mind uh how i had by mistake or or kind of naturally have had, had put that away from certain steps I think that was kind of like, ah, and also to understand how that part of me, which is really useful at times or completely necessary, uh, how it was always constant in the past. And and how I see now how many people, especially electronic musicians, they're always in a decision mode. They're always, is this should I have this or not? They're always deciding. And and to me, and what I feel in myself, and I, I, I have a sense that many people can relate to that, that when you open that door, it, it's a little bit like open the window on a, uh, you know, and it's storm outside. You can't just open it a little bit. It's very hard to just choose a little right. bit and then okay. close it again. Sure. It's a little bit like then you go into that mood and you become a, a chooser. So... F- and and the other side of you that just let out creativity and just play and just feel like a three-year-old painting, not caring about how it sounds, that that aspect of you becomes suffering all the time. And f- for many people, I think, is something they have suppressed for years after years. And And I think that is the creative awakening. It's a little bit like suddenly when you let that out again and it can fully flow, you're like, wow, <laughs> it's there. Wow. Um, and and that I can see and I can also, and I, th- I think that's also part of like why I include nature and meditation or shaking exercises and, you know, all kind of sensorial practice that kind of turn your attention back to the energy flows of, of, of your body is that then you can much more easily notice when your attention moves into a mind perspective or you know deciding and choosing and analyzing things and when when you put attention to flow and and energy um so it's a little bit more also a long-term slow practice of of being kind of feeling and seeing that and and be curious about it like wow now this perspective of me came in. Hmm. Then that happened, you know. And 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 the more 
I do that, the more quick I can also sense when I'm moving attention. It could be, you know, in a piano solo, suddenly I, I'm losing it. I start to think about what I'm playing and I don't want to think about what I'm playing. I want to feel what I'm playing. And then I can take a step back, take one breath, and then I'm feeling it again. Um, and and these, to, to talk about this, now I completely forgot the question. That wasn't really a question to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, no, so well, the, actually, what, what I asked you about was was the nature of of your own yeah. uh, workflow and, yeah. and what the deconstruction and, of it and, yeah. uh, revealed. Yeah, exactly. So, if I found anything like unexpected, so this was kind of a more. I, I for me, it became very clear when I started to feel this. It's like ah, this is what's going on. You know, it, it's in a way creative flow and and spirituality is a lot about understanding your psyche and and you know it's psychology in a way absolutely let me ask you about the meditation aspect to the course how is that i mean how are you doing that is that is that a um sort of a formal introduction to to practice actual meditation practice or is it something more specific to to music uh, both i would say it's it's partly i just try to put uh, some light on why i think meditation is important both for 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 uh, anything you do but also for your creative process so i try like all these tools which are uh, actually good whatever you do um I, I try to angle them why they have relevance for your your music creation. So I put that perspective on it. Um, and then I try to, like after each episode, there's always books to read for people who want to, to to kind of investigate more and also different exercises that they can choose to do. Uh, so I kind of try to give out a little, you know, a portfolio of, of tools that they don't need to try everything, but they can try something they feel for. So when it comes to meditation, for example, there are different meditation practices. And also, like for me, it's, there's, like I practice Zen, Zen meditation, but there's so many different ways to include meditation in your life. And it, it's all different techniques pointing to the same thing. So I try to encourage people just to not to, to think that it's such a big deal and to always also try to see how can how can you include something to make it you know ongoing meditate on the bus five minutes or when you lay down in the bed close your eyes and do a body scan before you go to sleep you know these small moments where you can include it you don't need to go to retreats every month or sit one hour a day and, and think that you have to do it so much for it to make sense so i try to show different ways to, to to see that it's accessible. Also, there is beautiful apps today, you know, with breath work and guided meditations and 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 very accessible things that can help people living today in 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 in, in the world we have to to use it and include it in our life. Uh, but then also, I show that that because my my workflow in the studio is a way also meditation. So the way I create sounds and how I record is a lot about, you know, listening, feeling, recording, listening, letting out. So in a way, it's an ongoing meditation. So for me in that way, it's it's when I sit and make music, I also actually prepare myself 
for creation because that's a little bit what I feel we're doing when we're meditating. We're coming back to this presence and we allow the flow. So if you're also... Well, yeah, that's actually... Let me let me interrupt you there and say that's the flow uh, sort of analogy or this kind of link between what people call flow state and formal meditation. I mean, that's kind of exactly what popped into my head as you were saying that. And, you know, my own experience of experiencing flow states, I mean, most obviously DJing, but also in the studio, it's not exactly the same as, as sitting for half an hour and, you know, focusing on the breath, but it's not a million miles away, right? So do you see those, these two things as being like fairly close? Maybe not directly analogous, but... I, th- I think they're extremely close. And, and in a way, a meditation technique or practice is more preparing you to include that in the actions you then take on during the day. So, for example, if you're DJing or you're playing a synth in the studio or you're or singing or whatever you do... Um, if you have meditated and you come, it's a little bit like you come back to your presence. You start to notice all the different flows of energies that pass through you. And if you can stay with that when you do things, suddenly you can let these energies into it uh, and you can experience it more fully. And, 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 and in a way, you could see it a little bit. I think it's just that this flow of energy is there, but when you do it in this way, you open up the channels a bit more so you can actually allow the flow a bit more. Um, or maybe not. Now I start to measure it. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's more, it's also the satisfaction that comes from it. And, and, and I think that's also something I talk about, which is also very related to music, but with meditation, that many people can have a perspective that, okay, I meditate to feel good or I do this to be happy. or And and to me, that is a mis- misunderstanding about meditation. Uh, you will not necessarily get more happy, like in, in the state of emotional, oh, being happy. Um, normally, you know, people that, that allow their creativity or meditate a lot, they are just even more emotional in a way. They include more of the emotions that they have, and it's patterns that come up in us. and And in that way, it's it's uh, it's not to to create a certain state. Meditation is to allow anything that comes. And for me, that's also important when it comes to creativity. Like it's it's not about being in a high energetic flow state all the time. It's also to see the beauty of being very low. And appreciate that. It's like, ah, everything got very subtle and, you know, it's winter and things are slow. Presence and creativity is still there. The problem comes when we start to feel like, wow, I had this moment in the studio last week where, you know, I did this and that and I felt so good. And then we want to come back to that. Then we're in these aspects of us that try to, and, and that's a little bit how our society and also our music scene works a little bit. You know, we, we, we idolize certain aspects of being a human being and we try to stay there and we try to hinder the flow of change. And that, in a, you could say in a Buddhist way, that I would say is, is the definition of suffering, is to hinder the natural circling of energies, uh, Someone called me, so I had to put it off. <laughs> yeah, it's the same in the studio. That's to to allow. So when preparing with meditating, 
then it's more easy also not to push yourself like, oh, I have to do a cool track today or I'm doing a remix for Scuba and I, I really want him to be happy. And you think about that all the time to kind of, you know, even if these aspects are floating in your head, you can take a step away from it and you just enjoy and having fun and you feel the sounds. And later on, you can you can go into a step where you choose and decide what to send to Paul uh, at Hot Flash, for example. Uh, but when you do it, you should not think about him. You should be with your feelings and energies and, and all these different flows. And the meditation is preparing for that. Right. I mean, it's self-accepting what's there, right? And not mm. necessarily reaching for something which is not, I suppose. I mean, that's how I would how I think about it anyway. I yeah. mean, certainly my, um, my understanding of, yeah, that sort of meditation, practice Buddhist meditation in particular is what I have experience of. And it's, yeah, just basically about learning to accept the world as as it is right and accepts consciousness as it is and instead yeah. of uh striving to uh, take hold of something which you perceive would be better than your current surroundings right than your current situation and you know i guess yeah and i guess achieving your creative potential if i can put it like that is well i mean to, to get there i think yeah it's extremely valuable to be able to attain that kind of acceptance so let me ask you about the retreats how have they been different in terms of uh your approach if there has been a difference so well in fact just t tell us what the retreats have been because i believe you've done a couple of them or maybe you've done more of them so t tell us what they've been so far and then uh, how they've been different yeah we did two specific music music creative retreats this February. So, and, and I tried two different versions. Uh, one version was one format that we already did in a few locations before. And it's kind of a an, an physical uh, short version of my first mentorship program. So these 10 weeks combined into a four day retreat. So it's, it's uh, me going through all these different topics, also showing my gear and, you know, a, a dip into my workflow, um, but also then being able to physically include different exercises, you know, collaborative exercises, sharings, meditations, walking in nature, doing yoga in the morning, uh, and these type of things. So in a way, it, it's... And the difference... It's interesting, I have a few students who did both that both did the the first online and then the physical one and uh, they really loved both but of course there were difference to it the beauty of having it online is that it's a longer period you know i talk about something it can sink in people can try things people explore and kind of relate to it and a week later they can also raise a question like you said this but i, I don't get it and this is harder to get when you do something intense for four days. It's a little bit more like, wow, <laughs> uh, and then it's over. Um, the, the positive thing is when, when it's physical is that it's very wow. You know, then, you know, I was holding space for them from morning till night um, and kind of curating a, a, a scenario where, where they don't need to think about food, they don't need their phones, they don't need to take decisions. They just go on and try things that 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 I offer them. Um, so I think many people feel after, but quite afterwards quite uh, charged by it. Um, the second retreat was more creative boost. So 
I had a, a talk every day and then we had a Q&A in the evening every day, but it was much more exercises, m- much more meditation and yoga and dancing and shaking and exploring our energies, like full days out in the nature uh, and things like that. And that, of course, you can't do online. Uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah. And so I, in a way, it's a... And, and I think the challenge for people normally is like, you know that something is beneficial or something is good for you, but how to get the motivation to actually do that instead of another pattern that you already do, like checking Instagram, listening to the news, uh, watching Netflix, uh, or, or, or all kind of things that you already have filled, filled your, your existence with. If, you, if you're going to add an hour of, of, of a practice for something, Obviously, you need to reduce something else. So that's a little bit the trick. How to motivate myself to do that? And here, the motivation comes from their own experience. So to have that little boost also make them like, wow. You know, when you have people crying afterwards, it's like, ah, this is so important for me. Then it's easier for them to get get back home and take that energy, that experience, and actually take those decisions that are needed to kind of not completely change our life, but change it a little bit and include certain things that is important for for their life, but also their creative uh, expression mm. and artistry. Yeah, okay. Okay. And so it's, it sounds like it's an extremely rewarding thing personally for you to be doing. I'm really interested in your uh, your story about filling in for your violin teacher when you were 14 that 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 piqued my piqued my interest so you must have been a pretty good violin player at the age of 14 then if you were standing in for the teacher yeah i i it was my my plan when i was a teenager to go to the conservatory and and play violin oh really wow okay so you were good yeah, <laughs> yeah i was i was not <laughs> top class i i think i always had the the beauty of being quite good at everything uh, in life, but not the the crazy genius at anything. Um, so I have kind I of see, a right, good yeah. overall picture of things, uh, which also I think is very helpful when when you teach, um, because you can relate mm, to yeah. many people. Because to be a good teacher is also to be, um, you know, empathic in a way to to relate. Who am I talking to? You feel this person. And you try to say something in a way so it cracks for that person. So for me, that's that's a good teacher. Um, so sure. so I, I I was pretty good. Um, I um, I practiced a lot and uh, etc. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe she felt somehow that I was good with with other kids. But I also had people who were like four years older. <laughs> Sure, right. It's it's one it's one thing being technically good at something, but then being able to transmit that, particularly to people who are your what well, I mean, if you're an older kid, you're kind of ostensible social superiors, right? Mm. I mean that's a that's a different skill entirely. So obviously there was a degree of confidence there. Yeah, and I think like in a way, when I look back, I and I th- I think that is an important for me I think it's like everyone are different, but if you want to inspire people or you want to have someone listen to you, you need to see them. Uh, you know, you, you need to have an, an honest curiosity about that person you meet. 
And and when you feel that curiosity and and you look, then you can give in a way that is, because a teacher should not give for being you know for their own reason. It, it should be like here is a question or here is a topic or here is a knowledge that is asked for. Can I give it? Um, so and and of course sometimes it can also be that you someone asks for something, but you feel as a teacher that they need something else. <laughs> but that that also comes from an empathic view that you try to take it in and then you try to answer. And I think that's like how my questions always are in my classes all the time is that I answer two things at the same time. You you kind of answer what they ask for, but you fuse in something that you feel is beautiful for them to hear as well. Yeah, okay. Interesting, interesting. Right, so let's move on to the circle of live i'm not sure if these would have been better done the other way around actually but i mean <laughs> i'm not sure to what degree the circle of life gave birth to the mentorship program and the rest of it maybe that's not a link there but tell me what it is tell us all what it is and how it started yeah so in a way yeah it, it makes in a way a bit more sense to start with circle of life than in bloom because in bloom was an expression within that and so when I started to think about Circle of Live was probably 2016. And in a way, it was an experiment from my side. And I kind of asked my manager, you know, what do you think about this? And he really liked the idea and and we worked on it together. So it's it's really our project together uh, in different ways. But it was my question to myself was, okay, I, I at that time, I was also kind of seeing like where my creativity started to spark and and at that time which is and these are kind of the fundament for circle of life it was to allow anything in a very warm way to to not demand but to give room or to to give an option an opportunity uh, to invite but not tell people what to do so so my experiment was okay i we, we set out we set up eight gigs and I asked a few people that I knew, some people that I have played with, other people that I didn't have played with, uh, do you want to come and join? And I, I did like a little small, you can call it a manifest, but it was basically come, do whatever you want. We don't plan anything. Um, be free to play as long as you want, as short as you want. We play the whole night. So... There's no music before, it's no music after. Um, so the experiment was like, will how will that sound? <laughs> how will people react to that creatively on stage? And also to, like the other aspect of, of, of the idea was like, because I feel that this raw creative improvisational aspect is needed for our health. I think we need to include that in our life. And sadly, the electronic scene is sometimes extremely formulated you know it's it's you put things in a box you play this and you're supposed to play like that or artists themselves think like you know this is this slot i have to play this i don't really like it but i have to you know this is very easy patterns that that kind of start to dictate what the music expression sounds like or feels like and so this was for me like I, i want people in an audience to 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 get something that is not polished, that is not perfect, that is maybe at times really boring. 
uh, or searching because that's of course what happens if if uh, three four people play for eight hours it will not be an epic you know arranged beautiful journey it it will probably be moments which are weird or even super bad <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> uh, uh, but the beauty of it is to be part of it. <laughs> Let me just ask you a question at this point. Um, what was your experience of playing live improvisationally before starting this project? Yeah, so that's what's how I more and more started to play. So my own solo performances was improvisational. So it was a little bit also to open that, okay, can I invite more people to do it like this or together with other people? Um, sure, because I guess the more people involved, the, the, the more difficult it is, right? <laughs> yeah, and different now afterwards, like now we have done quite a few uh, over the years because it, it, like I can just add that as well. I had another little at something I, I a curiosity, and that is that I think many people come up with really beautiful ideas, and they invite each other to really nice ideas, like come and do this. You know, I don't have any fee, but it will be really nice. Um, and there is always that question as an artist, like, okay, I love to allow my creativity. I want to allow my creativity in the form it comes out. I don't want to manipulate that, but I also need to survive as an artist. So can I do a project where I tell people genuinely, come play for one hour or eight hour or 15 minutes, play whatever you want. You don't need to, you know, you can play ambient and still have a full place. Can these people still get their normal fee? Uh, so I had from the start, I we didn't involve ourselves in the fees. I told people, please ask what you normally ask for. And someone asked 500 euros, someone else asked 5,000 euros because people are in different places in their career. And I didn't want this to be, wanted that to be like, come here and play with Sebastian and because it's a fun project, but I wanted them to feel, wow, this is beautiful and I can actually get what I normally get at the same time. Uh, and, and when you do things like this, then you need to also think about how can we communicate this? How can we make people curious about this? So that, that involves Nico, my manager, and you know, working with publicists. And then you, you need to also act within the music industry. But can you do that and still not hold back on your creative or spiritual principles and i feel that we managed to do that um but of course it's it doesn't happen by itself and it's not only when um, one person show it's it's this requires teams to to do it um i mean with regards to the nature of the actual performance though i mean as you said like um it's not going to be uniform in the quality throughout an eight-hour performance, right? I mean, as you said, there's going to be searching for the moments of transcendence, I guess, if I can put it mm. like that. But I mean, I, I've i never participated in something like this, but I've certainly watched a few, but never with more than two people actually doing it at once, certainly not in terms of like doing this in a, in a purely electronic setting anyway. And I mean, there's, there's a few... That stick in mind is a couple in particular. One which I've actually referenced on the show before, which was Atom and Tobias uh, performing at Labyrinth one year, which I thought was just unbelievably great. But was I mean I couldn't really wrap my head around how they how they managed to 
play for three hours and apparently without the boring bits. But <laughs> but I mean, what um, I'm trying to frame this to a question, but you know, the more people you have on stage, I guess the more difficult it must be, right, to achieve those moments. Is that, is that, is that right as a general observation? I would say that there is, like, I, I really love to play alone. I love to play with duos. I love to play with trios. Four people, there it started to get, uh, for me, that's the maximum. And we did five artists and six artists, but that gets... It's it's gets too messy and and uh, with the energies and it's easy as goes a little bit all over the place, um, so for me three people it, it's it's like all of these different it it helps you to to approach it in different ways, you know when you play live alone like I I did like ten eleven hours live sets alone, and and then you have you know you are playing you're jamming but you're also the kind of the conductor and the director you're the dj at the same time because you're doing a journey as well somehow uh, so it you know it's like normally i don't go to the toilet because it's just so much focus so you get a little bit like that flow state you're just <laughs> in it uh, <laughs> when you're two it becomes more of you know it's it's a dance a little bit more moments that you listen more and you add a little bit and then you take over and suddenly you, you play together, both of you. And, and normally for me, when I do do a shows, it's like that. It kind of goes in and out a little bit of, of being one and one and together and, and many versions of that. But it's still that, that you play full compositions. I, I mean, not that you play ready tracks but but there are moments where you play the whole sound you know you do basses and drums and these and you do the whole thing when you're three or four the beauty with that is that then there can be moments where you're just an instrumentalist for long parts like you dive into one synthesizer and you start only to play with that for half an hour and someone else take a, you know take control of other parts or aspects of of the song which is which can be very fun and and create very interesting new musical adventures for yourself um is there ever a a leader like when there, so whether there are four people on stage for example it must be why well, i imagine it would be useful to have someone essentially directing even if it's not you know totally prescriptive is it structured like that at all or is it just completely uh intuitive um i always say um, and I, I noticed that also with the, the creative aspects that, you know, you have full freedom to play what you want, but you don't have to. And, and to give someone that freedom, you mean, must be uh, you must be flexible as the inviter, because if no one else chooses to do something, I need to do it. So I'm the one that will always be there if needed. But I also try to move out when I'm not needed to give room and space, which is probably, you know, for being the inviter or, you know, a little bit the, the, the leader of it, that's the challenge sometimes because you start to take the lead and then you need to de deconstruct that role in yourself and give space and or try to give space for people to get in because otherwise you can easily get a pattern of you take the lead and everyone follow and play on top of your songs. So it becomes a little bit of other people joining you performing your music, uh, which 
was not the intention with the project. But at certain times, it, it have been parts where, you know, even though I feel that I've tried to, you know, let people play, people are waiting for me. And, and they want me to take the lead. And then sometimes you have to do that. So I would say that I, I started that project when I was ready to play a full night by myself. And I can play ambient, slow, housey stuff in 90, 100, up to, you know, super fast or go to drum and bass or, you know, when you can hold different aspects and also then invite people and play with people from very different musical backgrounds, you know, that's, I felt ready to do that. So I think my confidence in that maybe also helps people to feel that I can lose it now. I can go wild because there is someone that can, you know, come in and, you know, make the boat not sink. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess this, I, sorry, I, I guess the skill must be in, first of all, empowering people and giving them confidence and also knowing when to get out of the way of people. I mean, that, that's certainly been my experience of, of playing improvisationally in bands. It's like the, the, the problem can be is that everyone's trying to do too much, but actually the skillful improvisational performer knows mm. when not to play right it's a never-ending process of reminding yourself about that yeah sure okay let me ask you a question <laughs> about rules right because i mean in your discussion of this in prior interviews that i've read the kind of lack of rules in this project is, is something that you've emphasized i think that in thinking about club music generally and techno specifically i think that probably are a set of rules that you at least need to be aware of certainly when making a track and i think like a lot of the reason why they're there is because when you make a track for a dj it's useful for the dj to be able to navigate their way around that track so they can then improvise with it from their side of, it, of things but i mean do you agree with that and do where, where do you think what do you think the nature of rules is in club music more generally yeah you're obviously completely right there are there are rules Always. Or you can say that we live in a frame that has its limitations. Um, and it can also be limitations that are or kind of maybe not rules that are kind of strict walls, but they're kind of, you know, a little bit looser. You know, you can go over them, but you tend to stay within them. And I, I would say that that's maybe more an honest way to say how the circle of live club shows is you know we are still in a club people come that are standing up they're moving they're dancing so it has a clear function of being inviting to dance and movement which i also as a side note think is why these type of improvisations on clubs work when when you have an audience that are part of it because people get part of it by moving they are feeling their own expression. They feel their energies, especially if you do it for many hours. And then you are more accepting, you know, and, and everyone knows that, the, the, you know, you can play a kick drum for some time and people are happy. You know, it's, it's much harder if you have a seated audience in a concert hall. It, you know, people are waiting. You know, it, it can't be too boring for too long. People will lose their... Uh, their um, uh, lose it a little bit or kind of that they are more 
waiting for things to happen. So there is an acceptance in a club, I think, generally, especially when you build it up slowly, like like naturally happens when you improvise. People get into, you know, it's, you know, we are so quickly getting new reference points. And I think that's also so important when we do this, that you don't have a DJ that played before because produced, formulated, kind of arranged music in a studio will set a certain standard like and people get into that and then when it gets a bit more loose or vague or unstructured people can't really and they feel uncomfortable with that but if you start in that way people adapt to that um so it's it's a little bit of setting the frame but there is a built-in of course structure of you know there are tempos and kick drums and and then it's more variations of like if it's breaks or two-step or techno or if it's melodies or if it comes acoustic instruments or if it's distorted drums or non-distorted drums it's it's still the same function it's all moving to different ways of dance music so somehow that is a frame that have have is unspoken in a way because we are in a club and all these artists work in that environment so we have this background but another little rule not a rule but something that i noticed that some artists maybe have more than others and that have been sometimes challenging is when you play with someone it's quite clear if that person is a person that have clear dance experiences himself or not because you have a lot of dance producers that never dance and have never danced and haven't been at a festival for a whole week and then exploring their energies in the body and or or really that's that, that's that's some that, i mean I, I that must be true right but that's that's really surprising to, to hear that <laughs> yeah i think it's more common and and you have people that have done it but haven't done it for 10 years sure i mean i'm sure that that's much more common i think yeah absolutely i mean djs don't dance that's the <laughs> that's the cliche <laughs> but you also have people that especially younger artists that come into it they sit in front of computers they have a vision of of becoming artists and and they have a picture of of how that world is and they are attracted to it and that they do things yeah i think that must be increasingly true now right yeah and and then to play with someone that is then just you know and and that is coming back to that thing when i talked about my mentorship program for me to dance and to play is first we root ourselves, you know, we get into it and, and we kind of penetrate certain more shallow patterns maybe, you know, we chat with people, we say hi, we've, you know, inhabit the room, we feel the place and then it takes us some time and, and we move and the more we move and interact with the music, then we start to connect deeper and then we can start to feel really what's happening. Um, and if an artist has not any like normally never do this, it becomes a bit more jumping around, scattered. You know, it's a little bit here, a little bit there. It's more looking for, oh, how can we get an audience reaction rather than, oh, can we feel this piece? Um, and then be curious about the reaction rather than to look for the reaction. It's it's exactly the same thing. So, and and that rule is very difficult to talk about because if someone 
don't have the dance experience and are making music because of that passion and love, it's hard to talk about. It's like, how do you say that? <laughs> and it can just be very uh, negative. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you said about you know those moments, uh, you know, the, the moment at Panorama Bar, which can't be faked, yeah. right? You, unless you've been there, you don't, you can't really imagine what it's like you know because talking about it in the abstract doesn't come close to capturing the reality of the situation and but the whole beauty of the project is also to to blend these different approaches and and also to have people like we have artists who joined who only use a computer and a small controller and other people that bring a whole studio with them and other people that have live instruments and sing and 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 to combine these different approaches but also the background like is is making it interesting in a way and like and also make it really different to how I play when I play alone or for example if I play with Matthew Johnson or I play with Vril or Dorisburg it's quite you know we have quite clear uh, we are resting in something a clear vision of what we want to give so it becomes quite consistent with Circle of Live what we want to welcome is also the inconsistent the weird or the clashes uh, to to make it something else, and so there are a few combos that we did a few times, which are beautiful musically, but the backside is that we start to know each other and, and we do it so well, so these moments of weirdness do not appear anymore. Uh, so that's why with the project that we now took a new approach that we don't have a fixed line of artists, but we welcome you know any suggestions from promoters and we can come to people and people that we don't even know join. Actually, an, uh, it happened quite a few times now that I played with people that I hadn't heard the music of. Really? Wow. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was very rewarding. And then afterwards, starting to listen to that music is like, wow, shit, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a big risk to take. I have to say. Yeah, but of course, I, w- then we did some research um, and, and we made sure that, um, you know, it was people that had a certain, you know, that, that knew what they were doing. And uh, Sure, but I mean, even getting on, st- I mean, <laughs> being on stage in that kind of environment, you're very exposed, right? And I mean, how much mm, of the original approach that you took how much preparation like you're know, just talking to each other about you know how much how much preparation before performance happened nothing none none at all just wind it up and and let's go yeah and what i do is i talk so you know i we, we talk on the phone and i just try to remind about these things and also put in my excitement like just come and have fun you know do what you feel okay well that that, that is that is a bit that's a bit of, of preparation you know kind of setting down a vibe yeah yeah so that part is a few hours but kind of avoiding going in and talking about the music itself or what shall we do but sometimes i notice in people that it worries them they're like oh shit but i you know this feels really <laughs> vague and and then i always try to listen to that as well okay let's have a plan do you want to ha- let's start this bpm then we we decide this key and this BPM, and you can choose. Uh, so okay, I mean, I mean, do you get nervous before that kind of a show? No, I get excited, and and excitement also gets it's an opening. So yes, I do get all kind of feelings, but not nervous in a negative way. Uh, 
more excited and 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 as the whole thing is like like some you know when working with people in a team i hear, hear sometimes like okay this is such a great show now it's really important we do it good or like kill it or and then i'm always like please the whole idea about this is for us to forget about those things <laughs> so please don't try to awaken those uh you know, whatever happens, happens. And if it's a shit show, it's a shit show. And let's have fun anyway. Um, that's a little bit approach. Have you had any really bad ones? You don't have to say which which one, <laughs> but have you had any real real shockers? Not not super bad, but it was a, a few that was a bit more boring or kind of more, you know, the spark was not happening in in the artists or so much in the audience. And it felt a little bit like people were doing... A little bit what they were supposed to do, um, and and that is kind of missing the point of the project. So that happened, uh, but then not normally. It, it always and then it can be certain moments that have been. Let's and also you know it's it, it's a good practice for me because I tell people play whatever you want, and then suddenly someone start to play something <laughs> that I really dislike. <laughs> And you're standing there and you're like, okay. Yeah, you said so, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they continue. And like one time it was like, it was some sequence being played. And I was like, it was not bad, but it was kind of, okay, kind of not not really, not didn't make sense. It was kind of out of place. And, and I was like, okay, fine. And you start to play with it and try to blend it in somehow. And then it was going on and going, I was like, I had to kind of work through these questions in my head. Should I go and ask who's doing this and maybe, you know, take it down? And what's going on and going on? And like half an hour, <laughs> I was like, shit, I have to do something. And then in that moment, I realized it was me. <laughs> so, I, <it> was <laughs> so I looped some sequence of myself because I'm, I'm looping a oh, lot. Oh, man, so, I then forgot about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was on the loop. So I was like, oh, my God. And I had to take it. And I just had to laugh at myself. Like, I wonder how much the other artists were thinking about me. Like, well, everyone else is thinking, <laughs> God, what's what's, what's that Yeah, it's doing? like so like, awkward. Like, turn this thing off. But even that, you know, to have a weird sound going on for half an hour, that can also be hilariously <laughs> trippy at the right place, you know. And then when it yeah, finally yeah, yeah. disappears, everyone is like, oh, my God, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank fuck for that. <laughs> Let me ask you a question about uh, going back to the, the top leader thing. Do you have any control over, like, the levels? Like, is there a central mixer or anything? Like, how, how does... We, we have a summing mixer. Okay, so I mean, do you ha do you have an eye on that, or is it something which is yes, I have just uh, you know, just on and yeah, okay. We had a few shows where we didn't do that, and they were kind of okay in a way, but there are a few artists that always play too low, and a few artists that always play too loud. No names, <laughs> <laughs> and some artists I just need to turn down until the you know the the level is on zero and the fader is almost down. And they're still the loudest. And you're like, <laughs> how the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Got that lim limiter slammed on the master track. Yeah. Um, <laughs> has anyone, I mean, again, you don't have to name names here, but has anyone really surprised you in a positive way or a negative way after you've you know, invited them and you know, talked to them in, in advance and you know, then going into the performance? Has anyone really made you think, wow, what the fuck? Or, wow, amazing? Um, 
quite a few. Uh, like I always get amazed by how many artists are doing really beautiful things. So it's uh, many wows uh, quite often, um, which is also very inspiring because I think when playing with someone that maybe play in a way that you don't play, it's it's a little bit, it opens that window to yourself. It's one thing to hear something, but to play with someone playing something else uh, uh, can be really beautiful for your own process of you know, including new perspectives musically. Um, what is probably the most common kind of like less good uh, thing that can happen is that people get too shy and even the, you know they, they hold back and they, they and kind of are really afraid to blend in and that's of course also something that sometimes we played a f- several times with certain artists and they grow into it um, and and we have people from different experience background so if someone is not as used to it of course it can be a little bit scary to play with other people that have done it thousands of times um but then i also always try to encourage and you know also let them bloom out when it's possible uh, etc i always have a looper as well to the main mixer um, which some people really dislike and other people really love it. So I, I am looping oh, okay. the other artists while they are playing. Um, so <laughs> like Matthew, <laughs> he's not a big fan of it. I think, you know, he feel that I take, he, he lose control there somehow. Or maybe he just say he don't like it. But I have, you know, like we play that um, uh, in Paris at, oh, what's the place called? It's not existing anymore. Now I lost the boat. Uh, concrete. Concrete, yeah. So we played there and early in the morning. It was just me and Matthew, you know, in the middle. And we had such a jam. And we, it was almost like we were battling each other. <laughs> uh, and then he played decompression. Right. Do, 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 do. And, I, and I snatched it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I kept it. <laughs> so he played, and he imp- and then you know he was going out of the mix, and I played in, and then I started to bring in, and he was like, "What the fuck?" And he started to look at his mixer and like, "Where where is the sound?" And then he saw me smiling on the other side. Um, so these moments are also really fun uh, w- when they happen. Cool. Uh, okay. Um. We've done over an hour and a half. We have a Discord server where we discuss the podcast and members of the Discord server were saying that you are something of an authority on Psytrance. Now, we we touched on this off mic. And I'm not sure if it's completely accurate, but um, I need to ask you about Psytrance, otherwise the Discord will not be, will be happy. So, so <laughs> tell me about your uh, experiences such as they are in the Psytrance scene. Yeah, so I had a project together with Marcus called Songkite, uh, which we was the, actually the second project we started um, in the 90s, the end of the 90s. Um, and the nature of that was, you know, really the trance that I still have a very weak spot for, uh, which is very hypnotic, deep, kind of more housey, techy trance. Um, so when we started that, it was like around 130 BPM, housey, techy, trancey, hard to place, a little bit ground groove, 
Headzone, Massive Movie Vona, end of the 90s, kind of this bl- blend of trance and house. Uh, and we were really passionate about it. And, and we, uh, you know, we didn't really see it anywhere so much. So we, were, we felt a little bit alone and were a little bit of like, we are the fighters for this other sound that is not right yeah because obviously side trance is significantly faster than that generally speaking yeah and we were not in that scene at all uh you know this the scene was kind of mixed you know you had parties and it was techno and house and trance at the same places as well you know when you had uh, warehouse parties illegal in different places in sweden uh, so it was a little bit less di- kind of divided as it is today um but then we did this and we started to send out you know demos no one wanted it we started our own labels that pressed a white label and then we sent this to distributors and then it was actually a, a trans label that was part of that distribution and the the A&R there he was like wow i love this so he signed that songkite project for an uh, album on their label um, and it was in the end of the 90s, there was this kind of wave in the trance scene uh, of the Scandinavian, more minimal trance. Like we were the super slow, but it was kind of even the ones that were a bit faster were still quite minimal and, and deep in a way. Uh, so what kind of artists are you referring uh, to there? Atmos, for example. Vibrosphere was we were a bunch of artists a little bit similar so suddenly we got booked to these trans parties and festivals but we were we felt a little bit like aliens um and and then uh, in a way the sound of songcat also picked up certain energies because that's a little bit how it is you know you come to places and then you get inspired and you try something so our tempo went up um we became a bit more trans. Never, never the typical side trance. I would say that never full side trance. No, it was always. Uh, it was a bit more. I would say drivey and trancey than most minilog, but the kind of the. It, it's hard to say exactly what's minilog and songkite. They kind of blend together a little bit as well. And and when we and when we were in these places, we you know it was interesting. But then we felt like okay. This is not really us, and that's when when we started Minilog to kind of ex- continue to explore our love for for experimenting with new things and sounds and stuff. And then Mi- Minilog came. So, what what kind of festivals did you play? Did you play at Boom Festival by any chance? Yeah, many times. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, we we met at Labyrinth Festival, and, yeah, and yeah. we played with Songkite at the very first Labyrinth oh, Festival. Oh, really? 2001. Wow. Uh, and and that was, at that time, Russ, you know, his love was the very kind of deep, minimalistic trance that was, in you know, trending at that time in the trance scene. And he did that festival as an kind of something against the big side trance festivals, in Japan, so he brought this kind of right. more deep and underground trans artists, which were we were part of, and then he kind I of evolved in a very similar way. So when Minilog started, that's he, you know, he took the festival. You know, it's not that he followed us or we followed him, but it was a certain direction of and curiosity of, of searching for new music, and then kind of led in different ways. Uh, Tell me what the first edition of labyrinth was like 
Oh, uh, it was a funny one. I have beautiful memories from that. No, it, it was it was partly really beautiful, and and in a way exactly as it is now. So Russ, uh, right. I I feel that Russ' intention and vision is the same. You know, it's a weekend of of, right, yeah. of deep psychedelic music. Uh, for experience your your presence so like i always felt extremely aligned with what he wants to create um but then the the, and the music was you know it's it's not miles away from what songkite was or what uh minalog or donato dosso or peter van hosen uh sounds like or tobias and atom or you when I play at Labyrinth today, so somehow the music is not tremendously different, but I would say much more, you know, Russ did a journey of listening to loads of music and having a diversity and including new interesting things within the music, but still keeping it focused on on the psychedelic and, and the deep and the dance. And I think that's what he kept, but it was really part of the first one as well. The first one was the... the he and his partner at that time, or his his partner in the festival, not um, love partner, they had no experience. See, so was uh, it was <laughs> right. beautiful sound and great artist and and all that, but as as a promoter, it was a disaster to be an artist there. <laughs> so yeah. it was uh, barely we managed to get to that flight. I can tell you. Uh, <laughs> So I, I think Raz really learned over the years. Uh, now it's you know he he came to the point where he realized his role. I think you know he's a curator and the inviter uh, and and sound freak. And then other people in the team take care of other things in a really great way. Um, so I think the last fifteen years have probably been really beautiful in that way. But the, everything has to be the first time. And yeah, sure. I mean, it's really well organized now. I have to say it's completely clockwork. And I think that's a testament to Russ. Yeah, being able to delegate, basically, <laughs> because you're right. He does, yeah. does the curatorial stuff unbelievably well, but <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily want him arranging transport for you. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, he's going to come on the podcast, by the way. So if, if, you're, if anyone's listening oh, to this. I'll, say hello to him. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, he will have the opportunity to defend himself. Uh, if anyone's, if anyone's, uh, I don't need. I don't think he need. He what he's done is an, a beautiful achievement, and and you have to try things, and you have to to fail. And and for me, that's the same with Circle of Life or any other encounter we do in life. And and I like to say that in my courses as well. Dare to try to do things and dare to fail. Like create things in a way or create a setting where you are invited or welcomed to fail that's when when your adventure will be very interesting also for other people um and i think you know russ have a drive and he he do things and he try things and 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 then you do great things because you learn yeah absolutely that's a great place to finish just let me ask you one more thing just give me a give me a couple of notable memories from circle of life performances that that jump out at you mm. Oh, there are many. Like one of the first ones we did at Free Rotation uh, in Wales, uh, that that was, in a, in a way, it was also, you know, that feeling of trying something and it really bloomed out in the way that I wished for. 
with that presence of the audience and the artist and you know presence um and i think generally those moments of when when i i feel that this acceptance and allowing which which create like you said as well it's the creative process and presence is to allow the flow that happens and, and when you are many people at the same time doing that it becomes this feeling of or it, it's an um yeah you, you work together you connect to the same presence and dance floor playing movements feelings and uh it's all in sync um and those moments very often come on the circle of lives like free rotation uh, but there's been so many it's like village underground in uh in in london was extremely beautiful uh music who was who played at the village underground one it was matthew me and stevio i love very much to play with matthew uh, i have also as a duo well listen sebastian this has been fantastic thank you so much for your time it's been awesome thank you for inviting me yeah that was sebastian melart what a great conversation what an interesting guy what a thoughtful guy and he's doing such positive stuff in the space i think in the electronic music space he really considers what he's doing in a way that i wish more people would do frankly but I mean, <laughs> he certainly does. And, you know, he indicated in his answers how deeply he thinks about things. So, yeah, just great. If you're interested in doing his mentorship program, I'll leave a link in the show notes to that. And the Circle of Live thing has also, they've released a good few of their performances too. So you can get those on Bandcamp or just listen to them on Spotify. I'll leave some links to those as well. It's just a cool thing, really. Uh, I've never actually witnessed one live, but I've listened to a fair few of the recordings and it's like, yeah, it's good. But I, I mean, I suppose that's the kind of thing that being there probably helps, but I mean, some definitely definitely been some awesome music recorded come out of it too. So yeah, great episode. Really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Okay, as I mentioned at the top, you can support us on Patreon if you would like to. One of those two tiers including access to that Discord server where you can join our Remix project, which is fun. It's small but perfectly formed at the moment, but yeah, we're enjoying ourselves. We're on to the second round of it. So I posted some stems and we did some remixes and now we're on to the second lot of stems. We're doing like one per month or so, thereabouts. And yeah, that's a lot of fun. As I mentioned, two tiers, both of them are pretty cheap. The upper one is only about tenner a month. So... If you're feeling generous, then you can do that. If not, then just leave us a review or a rating. That's also extremely useful for us. Five stars, please. That'd be nice of you. That'd be really nice of you. Follow our Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. And join us in that aforementioned Discord server. There's a private area, but there's a general area too. If you just want to come and say hello to me, if you've got any suggestions, got any questions, all that kind of stuff, you can do that in that Discord server. Obviously, you can follow me on Twitter too, at Official. Instagram is also at Scuba Official. Subscribe to the podcast. Mm, is there anything else? That's about it, really, isn't it? I'll be back here same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you.
let's go planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.